minimalists. <laughs> Patreon, true fans. What's up, true fans? This is Ask the Minimalists number 20. Thank you so much for your support. Good Thanks afternoon, way Ryan. Way more than you know. Good afternoon. I don't know why I do, but like after having a very invigorating podcast with Matt, a minimal and a maximal episode, Yeah, I'm like in this like... Uh, NPR mode right now. <laughs> like we, we should start this ask the minimalist anything with like a do do do. It's Tuesday. <laughs> and it's time to ask the minimalists. What did Paul Harvey used to do? Podcast Sean, he, he was uh and that's the rest of the story. Anyway, our first question today is from Leslie Rogers. What's Leslie got for us? My son is cultivating his passion for broadcast journalism. Speaking Ooh, of NPR. question about kids. I love answering these questions because I got great advice. He is the play-by-play guy on their webcast and sports editor for the newspaper. That is awesome. The only problem, he is not motivated in any of his high school classes. Dude, you know what? Schools where stupid people go, according to Rick from Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> How can we support his journey and encourage him to do well? He doesn't have to be the ace student. Just make his full effort. Just make his full effort. Well, he, here's the thing. He's probably not going to make his full effort in, in, in school, and yeah. you might have to accept that. I, that's a hard thing to accept. Mm-hmm. I was a, a C student at best in high school. I mean, occasionally I would get... Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in English, I would maybe get an A hmm. um, or B because I... I was like a D minus student. <laughs> Seriously. I graduated like a... It was like it was like I think you needed like a one point six to graduate. I had like a one point eight. Like oh my it was, goodness. but they really pissed wow. me off though, man. Uh, it was it was like a game to me, like because they forced me to be in a lot of classes I didn't have to be in. Uh-huh. Because I transferred schools from Tallahassee, Florida, where I went for a year, where they literally had the best um, high school, public high school in the country. Mm. Like it was academically, it was the best. Okay. And I, you know, they score that. It was it was before standardized testing. Uh-huh. I mean, they still had like this the nineties. Yeah, but uh, but when I went back, because I had so many, because the way that they structure school, it's not seven classes a day. You know, it was like four classes a day, and then like they kind of alternated days and electives. They looked at differently. Anyway, I had way more credits, really but I could, but I couldn't. Yeah, but I couldn't just have when I went back to Lebanon when I transferred. I couldn't just have a bunch of study hall. So they forced me to be. And like algebra classes and stuff that like I'd already taken, it was just. Re- but anyway, so I think we need to identify. Long story short, <laughs> what, what you're saying there is you identify what the bare minimum is, and I think yeah. Leslie, for you, you the good news as a parent, you get to you get to set the standard of what is the bare minimum, right? And if it's a 4.0 in your household, that might be an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. However, if it's well, I, here's what I need from you in order for you to move forward. Ultimately, you want to understand why you need this from them, though. Like maybe if if their objective is like. Well, in order to get into the broadcast school I want, uh, which I, we could talk, it's a whole, whole different conversation of whether or not that would even be worth it. But if it is, let's say, hey, you want to get into broadcast school, they're going to require X, Y, and Z. What's it going to take for X, Y, and Z? Because right now, your son doesn't have a why. Why do I do this? Well, because you're supposed to sit in the classroom and raise your right. hand and do what you're told. That's not a good enough why. I think you find the better why. You know, honestly, like... I'm not encouraging Leslie to look at it this way, but from the outside looking in, like if I'm thinking about raising a kid, if they were super passionate about X, Y, and Z, and they wanted to drop out and get their GED, like it depends on why they were doing that. Mm. But it wouldn't be an option that I completely would just remove from the table. I'm not saying I would do that, but I, but I guess it's just my way of encouraging Leslie, like look at all the options 
and ask why those options would be the best or why they won't work at all. Yeah. And help your kid understand them. And that is where your that is where your son is going to find the leverage is if he can understand why he's doing it. Stephanie says, my husband and I are looking to purchase a home. We've worked really hard in saving a large down payment, which is only possible uh, because we radically changed our lifestyle and we got rid of excess and we look forward to becoming homeowners. My dilemma, however, is that I would like to buy a house that is best, the best size space for us. We are married with no children, which, is obvi- which obviously means smaller monthly payments and being able to pay off the mortgage quickly. Mm-hmm. Whichever way you look at it, which, as well as less cleaning and more time spent doing fun things. So she's naming all the benefits here. Unfortunately, my husband is on the opposite end of the scale uh, with the idea of a huge house with a double garage and several bedrooms and bathrooms. I don't want to become a slave to my mortgage, especially when we have worked so hard to have a down payment. How do I overcome, how do I overcome this and have an amicable agreement with my husband on what mm. kind of house we buy? The the thing that I'm, I'm looking at here, Ryan, is... is she can see all the positives yes. in her in her plan. Right. She can see all the negatives in his plan. But what if you were to put yourself in, in his shoes and better understand the the why? Why does he actually want the bigger house? Now, does he know? Maybe he doesn't know. It's because he's been sold this meme of the bigger house is better, the bigger, better, more cars, more garages, more bedrooms, more basements, more square footage is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But maybe he understands and he has a why behind it. Right. And if you understand his why and listen to him he'll find a way to better understand your why and what's going to happen is you're going to begin to converge yes you're not going to be in the tiny 100 square foot house and you're not going to be in the 7,000 square foot mcmansion either right no i totally agree it's like you've got to figure out the why like that's what we always talk about and man uh stephanie in relationships you've got to compromise sometimes and when i say compromise it's not in a sense that you have to give up but if you want to be a good partner, if you want your partner to support you, if you want them to love you, if you want them to uh, do everything they can to make you happy, you've got to also do the same for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> with Mariah and I, luckily, like we're on the same page with you know wanting to have a smaller house. Right. But even there, there are compromises. Yeah, of course, of course. So yeah, I mean, if, uh, try to understand where your husband's coming from and show him that you want to support him, and he'll probably, hopefully, back down a little bit. Um, on, you know, instead of 7,000, maybe he's willing to go to 2,000. Who knows? Maybe there's a combination of what is appropriate. So, so Stephanie, for you, what is appropriate for you? Mm-hmm. You have one thing in your mind, oh, less cleaning. And, and that's, those, these are all benefits. And you can convey those benefits to him. And if he says, well, no, actually, um, I want to clean more because I really enjoy cleaning, then maybe that becomes his task and his responsibility, right? Yeah. And, and understanding... Uh, understanding that's important so but you know what's appropriate for you he has to figure out what's appropriate for him mm-hmm. but more important you two need to figure out what is appropriate for the two of you yeah and you know what the negative of owning a big house with being a slave to that mortgage like you know help him understand the reasons why you don't want to have the big house too because yeah like it might be nice to get a you know nice big house and you've got jobs right now that can afford this big mortgage payment but are, do you want to a have those jobs for 30 years or do you plan on having those jobs for 30 years i mean if you can help him possible anymore yeah like if you can help him look a little bit more long term that might help him uh see where you're coming from also i think the last thing we need to figure out here is is this a conflict in values or a conflict in beliefs Mm. if it's a conflict in values you may not want to get a house together yeah. Uh, you may want because if your values are different and his values are truly a big house and your value is a tiny house, then 
then you have conflicting values and that becomes a problem. However, it sounds to me like this is likely a conflict in beliefs. She believes she's going to benefit from a smaller house. Right. He believes he's going to benefit from a larger house. Mm -hmm. And if it's just a conflict in beliefs, you can work that out. You, 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 your beliefs are malleable. They're just different pathways to get get you to, to those values in the first place. Totally agree. Amanda says, my best friend since seventh grade cut me the maid of honor out of her wedding oh because i this is terrible because i went through a financial crisis my job couldn't pay me what they promised and i couldn't afford to attend the bachelorette party oh my god amanda i am so sorry like this was a year and a half ago man and we haven't spoken since and there's not a day that goes by that i don't get upset over it how do I let go of this heavy mental baggage? I can, imagine if you did this to me, Ryan. Like, if you did this to me, we wouldn't be friends, man. Right, and and but the reason wouldn't be because I couldn't attend your bachelor party or whatever, vice versa, right? It it would be because oh, your values are truly different from yeah. mine. You clearly don't value the friendship. You of you value appearance. Yeah. You you um, value proximity to money. You value status. Mm. You value um, uh, the w w what is what uh, status is the term. I would value only what I value, and I and screw your values. <laughs> and if you want to be my friend, this is how you're going to be my friend. And if you can't be my friend this way, I'm going to exclude you from certain parts of my life. I don't. I personally, Amanda, I wouldn't have a friend like that. I'm not telling you to just dump your friend. I mean, that's a lot easier said than done. But I've had relationships like that where I was like. You know the the kid, like you know, it was the four of us hanging out in high school. It was me and my buddy, and you and your brother, mm -hmm. and my buddy. Like growing up, looking back, like I was just such an insecure kid. I was happy to hang out with a cool kid, right? And so, like, I would let him like make fun of me and walk all over me and pick on me. That's how the tables have turned in front too. of other people. Yeah, absolutely. But they only turned Amanda because I turned them. Mm. And I stopped giving that person my time and energy. Um, yeah, I, I, there's <clears throat> Amanda. There's no way to get over this hurt. Uh, there's no easy way to get over the hurt. You can forgive. You can let go. And I think those are important things. Uh, but it's. I don't think it's about letting go of this hurt as much as like redefining what this relationship means to you, and how you're going to approach this relationship. Um, that's a really shitty thing, Amanda. And I'm so sorry it happened to you. Um, but it, it's your friend was being a shitty friend at that. I'm not saying they're a shitty friend altogether, but that's a shitty friend move to do. I would ask myself if I were in this scenario, why why it was so important to me, right? Because clearly this person has not been a good person, has not been a good friend to me. Why is it so important to me that I feel significant to this person? Do you remember the couple that it was it was like floating around Facebook? They were asking like for a thousand dollars each from every single guest. Or to, so they could have their dream wedding in Hawaii or something. You're, you're, we brought this up on one of the articles on one I of the less is more. But it's like I, I'm, when anything becomes about limitations with money with friends, like that's just not. Yeah, it, it says a lot about what we what your friends value and like. Do you want friends that value things like that? And if it was really that important to me, like I I'm gonna have this bachelor party and I. I really want Ryan to be there, then I'm going to find a way for him to be there if he doesn't mm. have the resources, right? Yeah. I'm going to help him with it, either temporarily or 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 just help out in general. Um, or I'm going to find a way to restructure what 
uh, that bachelor party is because my friendship with him is more important than a event. And ooh, what? Amanda's friend is telling her the exact opposite. Absolutely, you, you, this event was more important than their friendship. Absolutely, and so I think I think the best way to move on because you're right, Ryan. There isn't a simple solution here. Forgiving isn't for your friend. Mm-hmm. Amanda, forgiving is for you. You're forgiving so you can begin to let go. Right now, you haven't forgiven this person. You, the reason I know you haven't forgiven given them is still makes you angry. You get upset over it or maybe sad, saddened as well. Or maybe you go the, the crazy eight route. The thing we talked to, we had Matt Nathanson in here recently, mm-hmm. which you all will see in a couple months, actually. Um, we talked about the crazy eight pattern, going from sad to angry and just vacillating between sad and angry, sad and angry. And that might be where Amanda is right now. The way to disrupt that pattern is to disrupt the pattern. Now, how, how do we do that? One way to disrupt the pattern is to forgive mm-hmm. because you can't forgive, truly forgive, and be angry. It's true. You can't truly forgive someone and be saddened by it long term. You might be saddened by it, but ultimately forgiving is an, is an act. It's it's the press. Oh, this is a, a, a minimal maxim for the folks here. Uh, forget forgiving is the precipice of letting go. Yeah. And and I think once you do that, then the question is: once you've let go of that, what do I need to grasp on to? Well, right now the other problem might be that you don't have someone who fills that role that you thought this person filled. They didn't actually fill the role you wanted them to fill. You you miscast the the role of of best friends in seventh grade. This is actually good news. You get to recast that role. Now, it looks different yeah. as adults. I mean, Ryan, we, we always joke that, hey, we've been best friends since we were fat little fifth graders. No, you you were best friends with someone else when we were little kids. It was the four of us, like, sort of hanging out right. together. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the truth is that, like, other people fall by the wayside in time. And best friends become distant friends at times. Mm-hmm. At times, and other people uh, move in and out of your life. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for new people to move into your life and fill that role you thought that your friend was was fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, Anna says, "I have two nephews, eight years old and fourteen years old, living in a maximalist home. Both are addicted to video games and rarely go out to play. This form of entertainment follows them in the car and even comes." With our comes uh, to them with our uh, to our comes with them to our home. What are some strategies for encouraging more intentional unplugged time together? Mm. These aren't your kids, so yeah. if they were your kids, it'd be a little bit different. So I know with Ella, we don't do videos during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, there are occasional exceptions. Uh, Ella and Bex just had a long two-day road trip together, mm-hmm. and th- she put these learning apps on a tablet for mm-hmm. Ella. Mm-hmm. And and that kept her occupied those two days. However, if she had the screens all day every day, I don't think it would have kept her occupied during it because it's right. the diminishing returns. Now, even that's not ideal. But dealing with a five-year-old one-on-one, it was it was the most ideal scenario. It wasn't perfect. Now, uh, if it's someone else's kids, you get the good news is you get to set the boundaries in your own home, mm-hmm. and. You don't have to talk to the kids to it about the about it directly, but with uh, I assume it's your sister or brother, or in laws, you get to set up some expectations with them. Hey, when you come come to our house, we think it's a good idea to not have devices on. So here is the place where we set all of our devices. But yeah. in order to do that, you also have to lead by example. I, I, I notice sometimes when Ella sees me on the phone, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, 
I'm displaying the behavior I want her to avoid. Mm-hmm. Oops, like I'm gonna have to start with me putting my phone and well, what what did Cal Newport call it? We just had him on uh, the the four year experiment. Yeah, or if you're rich, it's the foyer experiment. <laughs> <laughs> and is there a difference <laughs> well i think there once was i think oh, at one point like a foyer was a bigger space like but grand, yeah yeah, the yeah. Foyer was just like a mud room it was like when you first went into somebody's house yeah so put your too. phones in a bucket of mud that's right anna uh yeah that's ultimately what you got to do you got to decide what's appropriate for your home and set those boundaries but you know if you set, let's say you set the bound the boundaries of oh this is where we put our tablets and cell phones uh, this is where you need to put your stuff. You've got to be open to them not wanting to come around as much if you do things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a balance there. I would encourage you to find activities to do with them that they can't help but not be on their phones. They can't help but not play video games. If they're coming to your house and the most entertaining thing to do is to play video games, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, can you play video games together? I don't know. I'm just like trying to throw out, you know, different different approaches um you could go on like some hikes take them to like six flags or something um i don't know uh but 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 yeah you've got to be able to find those boundaries and set them but also be willing to accept the uh i don't want to say the repercussions but you got to accept the outcome of how your 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 uh, nieces and nephews look at you when you set those boundaries i'm reminded of this uh David Sedaris' story that he wrote, I mean, they're not, it's a nonfiction story, it's an essay, basically a, a first-person experiential essay about his nephews and how they are essentially addicted to technology. Let's see if we can find a link to that. It was in The New Yorker, Sean, put a link to it in, yeah. in the show notes, and how he handled it in a very sort of comedic way, but also how he, kind of what Ryan said, formed a detente with... Uh, accepting that it's different now and these kids are going to play some games to, certain, mm-hmm. to a certain extent so what is the boundary it's not no devices it's what's the what's the appropriate amount i had someone uh talk to me about their nieces and nephews coming over and how like she went together and made this really nice meal and like all they did was complain about how it wasn't mcdonald's mm. and they were just like oh this has kale in it doesn't it and it, you know this is oh this chicken doesn't have any skin on it, it like just like really putting down their meal. And she's like, and how do I get them to like that meal? The answer is you don't. Yeah. There's no way you can possibly, you're, they're not your kids. They have poor expectations and it's not your, it's not your job to raise them. Right. Right. Sarah asks, during my minimalist journey, I've discovered several other schools of thought that have added value to my life. The Japanese worldview of Wabi Sabi. Wabi Sabi. Has been a particular, been a particular interest to me and I feel has helped me progress toward quote future me i aspire uh, the future me i aspire to be are there any schools of thought other than minimalism that you have found add great value to your lives Hmm. i mean i love like buddhist teachings and like those uh like the zoastrians really i mean I, i look at that stuff but i don't live by any school of thought except for what we've put together because I mean that's why I that's why I wanted to put this together with you, Josh, mm-hmm. is because there wasn't a school of thought out there. Like that there were ingredients out there you liked, right? So yes, yeah, so yes, there are plenty of other ingredients out there, like Buddhism, like Zoroastrianism, uh, uh, even some of the Stoics. Like there's some philosophies I really love to take little bits of ingredients from, but like as as a whole, like no, I can't think of any other you know organization that I would just be willing to bring into my life and. 
and 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 live 100% by it. I think it's nice to find different perspectives to yeah. enhance your values, to help you figure out what your values are. You know, stoicism for me is is the big one. You can also look at transcendentalism like uh, Thoreau and Emerson. Um, if you were looking for a stoic, I, my personal favorite favorite is uh, Epictetus, uh, and you can read the Discourses. There are some good translations out there. You have to find a good one, though. He also, they have uh, some excerpts from uh, the discourses called, I think it's called The Art of Living or On Living, something like that. But maybe Sean can find a link for that. Yeah. Karim, oh, uh, pronounced Kareem, it says. (laughs) (laughs) Karim, pronounced Kareem. (laughs) All right. It says, how do you apply minimalism to taking pictures? I find myself at times thinking, oh, man. I should take a picture of this, but I will resist the urge because I'm trying to reduce my smartphone use and be in the moment. I had I had a perfect example of this when we went to the poppy fields. Uh-huh. So there's this like super bloom thing happening in Southern California right now, which is it's just ungodly beautiful. Like the just look up Southern California super bloom and you will see some amazing pictures of like hills that just look like they're set on fire with orange and purple and yellow. It's unbelievable. And I was going to leave my phone in the car because I didn't want to take pictures, but I forgot. And like, by the time we started on the trail, I'm like, oh crap, I brought my phone with me. And the reason why I noticed I brought my phone is because I saw other people taking selfies with the, with the flowers and stuff. And I was like, oh, I want to take a picture because everyone else is taking a picture. So like the, it's a weird kind of peer pressure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. But like, so when I got that impulse, I was like, no, I'm not going to sit here and like hold up this you know, tra- I'm not going to make a traffic jam on this trail like these other folks are doing. Yeah. Like I'm going to like just take this in. Uh, but it did get to a certain point where I was like, I have to capture this. Like this is unbelievable. And I took like two photos. I took a panoramic and two photos. So it was like three photos, I guess. But it was literally, uh, it, I was very moved to, I was inspired to take a picture. And that I did not feel bad about. It wasn't a have to. It wasn't I must do this because I got to capture it. I got to prove that I was here. Um, in fact, I even told myself, I'm like, I'm going to take these pictures. I'm not going to put them on Instagram because that would be for the wrong reason because I would be like, oh, man, this is great. And I'm going to get a ton of likes on Instagram. Look at me. Yeah, exactly. Although now that I say that, though, man, it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful uh, picture. Uh, maybe I will put it on Instagram because that's why I actually put stuff on Instagram. It's when I experience beautiful things in my life that I want to share. So uh, now I'm kind of rethinking that. But this is where you apply minimalism to taking pictures is be deliberate with it. Ask yourself why you want to take a picture. Ask yourself why you want to post it. And if you can get into that why and feel good about why you're doing something, then take a picture, man. Don't beat yourself up for taking a picture. When I was there, I uh, I went to Super Bloom a few days before you, and uh, I have a visceral reaction to it. Like I think it's gross. I think it's vapid. I think it's it's what is it? Uh, taking pictures, t- taking the 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 art of the selfie that is going on amongst the flowers, the at least at the terminus of it. So when when I look at the person who is literally trampling the flowers, oh yeah, um, ruining the experience for everyone else, but also just the people who are who are standing there taking pictures repeatedly. Now the reason I I look at it as gross and vapid and just disgusting is because that's what it is to me, and if I. Really what I'm saying is if I see myself doing that, that is what is gross. Mm-hmm. And so you have to identify like what is gross for you? What is, what is 
appropriate for you and for mm-hmm. me i just i didn't have my phone with me in fact when i went ryan asked me for a photo and i just uh i went to google images and i typed in like super bloom and guess what better photos than i could have ever possibly taken were right there in google images and i just sent one to ryan and said hey look it's really beautiful and i think that's the other thing too when ryan talks about the the why behind it like if you're just trying to catalog the thing, it's probably already been cataloged. Yeah. And so uh, one of the one of the other tip that has helped me in the past, um, our friend Adam, who originally took a lot of the photos for like our, our books and our website. He took not that one, but the original one of that one. Yeah. He took the one that's on the cover of Everything That Remains. Yep. Um in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, he took a lot of photos for us. And he was talking about, I'm thinking about going to a, a film camera instead of taking pictures digitally anymore because it forces you to be more intentional. Yes, more deliberate with, you can't, it's not just this burst shot, snap, 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 right. oh, maybe I got something good. Yeah, it, yeah, because you have only, you know, like, remember when you had the little, the Polar, or not Polaroid, but Polaroid's a good example yeah. too. Like, you can't take, you're not going to take multiples of the Polaroid, it's one snap. And I started doing that at the time. I had a BlackBerry when he was talking about this. So I would take one photo. Mm-hmm. Even even if I screwed it up, oh, it's blurry. Oh, there's my thumbs in it. Or, yeah. Oh, I didn't get a very good angle, whatever. So what? That's it. You live with it. And that is that moment. I captured the moment and then I put it away. Limitations breed creativity. Who wants to watch a sunset through a screen anyway? That's the truth. Jen says, I've cut a lot of pacifiers out of my life. For example, mindless shopping video games, endlessly scrolling social media. But my passions slash hobbies take a lot of mental or physical energy. That's good. And sometimes I'm just not up to it. What do you recommend to fill the void created by removing negative coping mechanisms? What can provide that kind of mental rest without being addictive? Jen, give yourself some downtime, man. Don't, I don't feel bad about downtime. Like, yeah. it, cause there, I do feel bad about it when I should be creating, like I, there is a difference between me having downtime. I mean, Mariah and I, when we went to the super bloom on Monday, it was, I don't know, 10 miles of walk. It was crazy, dude. Like it was so much walking. Mm-hmm. And then we got home. I was exhausted. So like I, dude, I turned on the office or something on Netflix, like just to like chill out. I don't feel bad about that. Now, if I'm sitting down and I'm like, oh, I need to get ready for that podcast or I should be working on this book or, you know, I, you know, I told Matt Diavella that I'd work on this monologue for this documentary. Like if you're putting things off, if you're putting your hobbies off for the rest time, I think that's where I start to feel guilty personally. Yeah. But I don't ever feel guilty just because I'm tired and I want to, I want to, you know, quiet my mind. I, I, you know, I would say go on a walk, but like, again, on Monday, I already did enough freaking walking. Right. I'm not going to go on another walk to quiet myself. Yeah, there's. I, I keep three lists on my phone. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of a to-do list, I have a today list. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, there's actually, a, there should, the essay should be up on our website by the time this video comes out. It's called uh, Every Other Never. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found like there are times where procrastination creeps into my life. Like I'll get to that you know, tomorrow or whatever. Uh, but I have a list on my phone. It's not a to-do list. It's a today list. Because to-do list is just like, oh, well, I'll get to it whenever I can, right? Right. On my today list, I have to do everything that's on there today. At the end of the day, I, I, I create a tomorrow list. Mm. Now, sometimes, this is a problem. Some things, I, I didn't finish everything on my today list. I just didn't have enough hours in the day. Yeah. Or there was an emergency or something came up. 
And it, okay, well then that's going to make my tomorrow list, which tomorrow will be my today list. Mm. Now, if it happens twice, then I move it to my second list, actually. Mm. It's called a someday list. Mm. And they're like, oh, projects I would like to start working on someday. But it is, it's pie in the sky. Like, yeah, I'll get to that someday. Now, a lot of those things on my someday list are going to go one of two ways. They're going to get deleted. That's actually what most of them, what happens with most of them. Most of my someday list items, eh, that was a good idea back then, but I'm not real. Am I really going to prioritize that? Right. No. And so the other list is today. Eventually, someday, be, today is your new someday or someday is, is, is today. And and so they, they creep onto one of uh, one of two directions, either my today list or they get deleted. The third list I have is my never list. Mm. And these are things I can never do if there's things on my to-do list or on my today list. <laughs> I love that, man. So uh, the, the big, there's like five big ones, YouTube, TV, yeah. um, th- there's a few others, but like uh, it's all, it's all there in the essay. Yeah. But um, so anytime I, I feel the pull to like, yeah, I just want to, I want to veg out. What a great way to like program the downtime, man. Right. You can go to your never list and be like, uh, my today list is done. Here are the things I can do to chill out. And I'll literally copy them and paste it into my today list. Oh, and nice. Then, and in a weird way, that starts to feel productive because <laughs> I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I finished. The, like, I, the best feeling in the world to me is sex. Mm-hmm. The second best feeling in the world to me is checking off a list. When, well, actually, no, well, yeah, sort of. When I get to that today list and it's empty, yeah. It's like, It's like a zero inbox thing, man. I feel the same way with my email. Which actually sounds a lot like sex now that I think about it. (laughs) All right. Um, Interchangeable. Satham Sheed says, as someone who is motivated more by accountability to others than to myself, I have trouble motivating myself to, quote, drudge through the drudgery with tasks that require mainly pure self-motivation. Playing my guitar, writing, reading more, etc. This is also a problem for me. With, with tasks where I have had issues finding a good accountability partner. Do you have advice how to break through the mental barrier? Um, Ryan, you, you, you and I went through this. with uh, sure. you, were, you were writing a book um, that will probably get published after certain people are, are no longer with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the we would just go sit together in a coffee shop every morning at 8 a.m. for a while. Yeah. And write together, like di- write different things. We were just, it was the, the act of showing up. Yeah. Now, there are, it doesn't require that level of accountability partner. It can require, the thing I do with my writing students is they have to they have to email someone who, who's going to hold them accountable. So you email them at the end of the day. It's like three different prompts. Like, what did you write today? How did it make you feel? What was good about it? Mm-hmm. And it's really simple. Like one line each. It takes you less than five minutes to do this email. Usually for most people, it's like a minute or two. Yeah. And then they're done and they send it off their accountability partner. If they don't get the email, their accountability partner emails them and just sends them the three questions. Oh, wow. And so you feel compelled to do it. You, you remove some of that additional friction. Uh, with reading, they asked about reading, join a, a book club. Yeah. With guitar, do guitar lessons or play in a band, even if it's a garage band. Having other people to do that with, even if it's occasionally. Uh, meditation, for me, uh, it, I, Bex is my accountability partner. We try to meditate together every day, and if one of us fails, then we both fail. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the the thing you want to be careful with is, well, A, like you can't play guitar, write, read more, and et cetera, all at once. <laughs> like you've got to get clear on what it is. I make a good YouTube video. Though. Yeah. And, and when the more, the longer the list is, 
like the easier it is to procrastinate. And here's here's the, the greater trap you want to avoid is when we procrastinate with other people's interests, it feels so valiant. Look at me. Mm. I'm giving my time to somebody else and I know I'm procrastinating on these things, but you know, I'm going to the soup kitchen. Let me tell you, man, if I started going to the soup kitchen instead of podcasting, where would we be? Yeah. <laughs> Which I could very easily do that. Uh, if I started just going off and building schools in third world countries and ignored this next documentary, where would we be? Yeah. So uh, don't get caught in that trap of feeling so selfless and valiant. Like that's what you're distracting yourself with. A distraction is still a distraction. There is an appropriate time. And I think that it's very important to give back. And I think it's very important to, to be uh, uh, supportive of other people's interests. But don't fall into the trap of making this valiant thing your distraction because a distraction is still a distraction. Really, what you're talking about there, I like the distinction there. You're talking about prioritize. Like, hey, I have to do these things. I get to do them ultimately. But they also allow me to get to do the other thing. You didn't put the school thing first, but mm -hmm. you have built a school. You funded a high school. You've done a lot of things after you figure out what your priority was. Like, hey, I'm going to create this. It's going to add value in one way. It's going to allow me to make a living as well. But then also, I'm. It, they're not mutually exclusive. Like you're right, Ryan. You can't play guitar and read at the same time necessarily. Right. Yeah. But you can play guitar and you can read. These are things that a lot of people do. Yeah, if and you, you can a, find accountability partners for both. Absolutely. If you have a list of ten things that you want to do, I'm not even telling you to remove those things off your list, but you are going to have, if you've got 10 things on your list that you want to do, read guitar, uh, read guitar, <laughs> put that an extra thing on the list, you know, read more, play guitar, uh, learn sign language, uh, you know, donate to the homeless shelter, like still have all those things on your lists, but you're going to have to be a very good scheduler and you're going to have to like own up to that schedule. And yeah, like if you're going to have that, busy of a schedule well a like ask yourself what you're busy about why you're busy about that stuff but yeah you are a, a, an accountability partner will help you to to kind of you know keep to that schedule i would encourage you to to remove as many things as you can off the list and like what like that's and so i had them back on deliberately yeah dude like like i had um uh I, I bought a saxophone so i've been playing that recently um i've been practicing the speech that uh that that we are doing for the documentary um and i've been learning spanish it's my three s's mm. and when i was uh on my back uh and i couldn't play saxophone because it's just it back was, was broken yeah back was broken so it was just like spanish in my speech and to be honest like i haven't added saxophone back in is i mean I've, i practice it two times a week but it's not been every single day like i was doing um but i but i have not uh, added it back on because I just I haven't felt ready to pile that thing back on right now. Um, we've we've got a little bit you know busier of a schedule with podcasting and certain things for the minimalists that um, I've been letting be a priority. But as soon as I have that space, guess what? I'm going to add that back on. So uh, yeah, if you remove something off, don't feel like you can never put it back on the list. But you've got to be honest with what you have space for. We're way over on time, but we have one more question, and I have OCD, so we, we need to finish it. Shane says, in terms of relationships, by the way, that you guys upvoted these questions, so thank you very much for that. Yes. We, we picked the ones that were most upvoted, so continue to upvote those and leave your comments on, on this as well. And also, if you have advice for people, like feel free to comment. Yeah. Ryan and I have our own perspectives, our own wisdom, but so do you. I and agree with like 50% of what we say here at The Minimalists. <laughs> Hopefully it's 50% that I say. <laughs> of course it is. All right, Shane says, 
In terms of relationships, you guys have spoken and written about the us box and how if you're if you're taking far more than you're giving, you are in fact leeching off the relationship, which I agree with completely. However, wait a minute. You can't agree with something completely and then give me a however. <laughs> you freaking can and Shane just did that. You did it, Shane. Bravo. <laughs> however, my partner has come to me saying that she is happy to not have more children. She has one from a previous relationship, even though she has always wanted more than one. We both struggle at times with the one she has now in terms of emotional and mental well-being. And I've expressed my concerns with what adding another member would bring to the table. I feel that giving her that giving up that her giving up something that she's always wanted because of my concerns is taking away something she values and may in the future be something she regrets. She's willing to give something like that up for me, but should I allow her to do that? Um, it depends. It depends on... I've gone through this twice now. Um, more than twice uh, with, with certain relationships, but I never wanted to have kids. It's, re- it's not the reason. It's one of the big reasons that my marriage ended mm-hmm. is I didn't want to deprive Carrie of having kids. And remember her and I ganged up on you? <sighs> trying to talk you into having a kid. <laughs> no, I don't remember this, <laughs> but did you? Yeah, dude, we went out. It was Easter, man, and I remember like... Because Carrie's like you got to talk Josh into having a kid. And I was like, yeah, actually, I think Josh does need a kid. But, you know, that was my 24-year-old self projecting my yeah. <laughs> my two cents onto you. Anyway, if you don't remember it, I won't rehash it with you. No, tell, tell me about it. No, I, I mean, long story short, it was just, we were, it was Easter and, like, we were driving out. And I just remember, like, having this speech that I was, I was just having this talk, but it was more of a speech I was delivering to you <laughs> about, like, yeah, it'll enhance your life. It'll, you know, here I'll, and really what I was doing is I was projecting why I wanted to have kids. Uh, oh, yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I'm saying? And, and I think that that was the key here. It was like figuring out like why uh, uh, th- there were other symptoms certainly within our marriage that I think it wouldn't have lasted even, even if we were on the same page with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a big one and it actually helped me disconnect from the relationship in a way that was considerate of her it was compassion the best thing i could do is be compassionate because the worst thing i could have done was force her to stay drag her down my path of not having a kid Mm -hmm. or just placate her by having a kid with her right uh, that i didn't want to have with her like that that wouldn't be fair to her wouldn't be fair to the kid and then um there was a relationship i was in after that where even though i set good expectations the the person yeah you know who i'm talking about here was Mm -hmm. like but yeah, but maybe there's a chance. Like yeah. it was like the scene in Dumb and Dumber, where it was like, I, they're like, so you never ever want kids? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I don't. I mean, I'm not gonna pigeonhole myself by saying never, mm-hmm. but I really don't think I I've, I'm ever gonna want kids. So you're saying there's a chance? I'm reading you. Yeah, fifty fifty, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh um, man. And, and and so I I was really really upfront and honest about that but even then i i had to over communicate like no i don't want kids Mm. um however also realized that that can change and um when i met bex i knew the the price of that relationship was to have a great relationship not only with rebecca but with ella right who when i met ella for the first time, she was one year old, mm-hmm. and um, she won your heart over because she was so well behaved. 
she was not well behaved. <laughs> it was quite the test. But realizing that, but I, and at the same time, I know I don't want to have any other kids now. Um, is is that possible that changes in the future? Not likely. Um, but I also know that like it would, if I want to be in this relationship with Rebecca, I have to give it my all, my all to the relationship, my all to Rebecca, my all to Ella. That doesn't mean giving it everything that they necessarily need. It's giving what I can give with what's within my resources. And, and that's time, attention, mental sanity. Um, and being able to set, to be communicate that honestly, like, Hey, no, I can't do that right now. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if I don't have that to give because I think for the longest time I, I, I placated my first spouse where it was like, yeah, maybe one day. Right. We'll so you don't want to hurt her feelings and like completely shut her down. Yeah. But you guys got married for the wrong reasons, I think. Like I think so too. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, I did the same exact thing. I just got out of my marriage way sooner. Yeah. Um. You know, I think the... You know, the the example that you have with Ella there, I think Shane can use this because it's kind of the opposite problem mm-hmm. where instead of not having the kid, you had the kid. Um, the relationship was worth it for you. Mm-hmm. So Shane, your partner, maybe it's worth it for her. Maybe the really, I mean, I know that you feel guilty, but stop making it all about you, man. <laughs> like, like maybe the relationship is worth it for her to give that up for you. And if that's the case, the best thing you can do is give to that us box as much as possible. And if you are doing that, even if she has a twinge of regret, uh, she certainly will never blame. If you haven't forced her into this decision, so I'll preface it with that, she will never blame you for not having another child. She might regret the decision she made a little bit, but dude, if you are putting in that us box as much as possible, like it, your relationship is going to be great. Solid way to end it. Thank you, Patreon. Thank you, true fans, for being there. Yes. We'll see you next month. Don Minimalists.